left, right. Yo, what is up, my friends? Thank you for joining this following episode about the wealth gap. It is late at night and I'm still editing the episode. I did include a quick uh, message voice note that we got from uh, a past guest on the show. We're talking about teaching a little bit. Uh, I want to thank Robin for, uh, for that note. And uh, today we're talking about the wealth gap, which is a wild, wildly, it's almost inconceivable the crazy amount of wealth that is owned by such a crazy small fraction of people. We got a whole bunch of charts. If you're watching the video on YouTube, you can see the charts. If you're watching, if you're only listening, that's too bad. But I think, uh, I think what you will finish this podcast with a better understanding of is how wealthy the wealthy really are. And we even talk about some polls that cover the vast majority of, uh, of the U.S. and what most people think the wealthy, how much wealth most people think the wealthy have, they are nowhere near how wealthy the wealthy really are. So, either way, it, it, it's a cool pod, it's a cool podcast episode. So check it out and uh, let me know in the comments what you think. I'm a little long-winded now, so I'll let you go. I'll see you guys on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink. And enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Hi, Justin and James. This is Robin. I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having these amazing, critical conversations about education. I have really enjoyed listening to you all for the past few weeks and really appreciate the passion. I have to say that I'm very impressed with the data and the information that you all have, being that you are not directly in the education field. So as an educator and one that works with all of these educators, thank you. Keep up the good work, guys. Have a great one. Be well. Let me, uh, let me introduce ourselves. This is Sip Talk, episode 137. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosonator Boswell, accountant, philosopher, referee, bartender, cracking a beverage. What are you drinking? Bush ice. And James is? Yeah, we need to get an endorsement deal going with them. Yeah, that would be nice, right? We'll have to get them to... we got to get their attention first. <laughs> Speaking of bush ice, well, that actually has pretty high alcohol content, but, uh, but it's pretty light, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's not a heavy beer at all. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's like a Bud Light, but I, it's, it's, it's a lot stronger than the Bud Light. So, um, Speaking of humidity, though, uh, in New York, it was humid as shit. It started to pour like crazy this afternoon, but right before it poured, so crazy high humidity, I hiked off to get my vaccine. Finally did it. Well, no, they told me they ran out when I got there, so, so it didn't happen. But I'm going back another day. They're going to let me know when they, when, they, when they get a new one. But either way, it was a, an hour and 40 minutes just wasted. It was, it was short enough to walk because you know how New York Did you make work. an appointment? Yeah, I had an appointment and everything. Uh, well, that's bullshit. 
it is. It totally is. But sh- short enough to walk, but it was a long walk, a lot of avenues, and there's no subways that really cut across the avenues in Manhattan. So I just had to hike four avenues and, and uh, seven uh, street blocks, which in actuality is long as hell. Thought about taking a cab, but traffic was was nuts. I guess it was probably know. what maybe a twenty minute walk. No, well, uh, it was it was about a half hour walk, which okay. you know, wasn't wasn't too too bad. But, say uh, hi to Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Christina. Hello, Sanambi nineteen. What's up, TikTok? Hello, let love rain. Nice to see you here. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be continuing our conversation about the wealth gap. And uh, maybe we'll solve it tonight. Maybe you'll you'll finish this episode a much richer person, unless you're rich already, and we're taking your money, Robin Hood. Uh, but look, I gotta. It's been a crazy afternoon. I gotta I gotta take this jacket off. I'm gonna derobe because uh, I'm sweaty, man. It was a sweaty fucking day. We uh, we moved to the new office tonight, which was very exciting for my team, real estate team. We just. Uh, moved two floors, but it was a big move for me, kind of a finalizing of the, the transfer. So that's exciting, but also sweaty. And then I left the office covered in sweat thinking, oh, I'll cool off a little bit. And I got soaked by the rain. So I'm just in, in bad shape in that sense. Uh, I'm going to crack open a bottle of Hendrix here in a second, and uh, we'll get started with this, uh, this wealth topic. Where did we leave off last episode? Um. We talked a little bit about taxes, and we were about to talk about like as bad as the wealth gap is. The when you look at it by race, it's even worse. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't get into the racial aspect of it, but yeah, I've got one or two graphics for. I think I've got one graphic for like how bad it is by race. Let me see. Oh yeah. Well, a lot of my thinking on how would we solve it doesn't have fair solutions. So when you think about how do you, if you have 1% that has, what, 50 or 70% of, of the wealth, and we're going to take, effectively come up with a system that drains them a decent amount of their wealth, not, not in a terrible way, but you know, what are they doing with all this money? Because they're not injecting it back into the economy. They're just kind of swinging around their, their, their bank accounts, I guess. Uh, we take the money from them, we put it back in the economy. That well, you're not going to have a fair dissolution of of the funds, right? It's not going to go to every race equally. What I was saying last episode is you're not going to give every person ten thousand dollars, right? It just that doesn't make sense. And uh, yeah, but I think the idea is an imperfect solution is better than no solution, and that's where we are right now. Is no solution. Sure, but having an agreement on making a solution is going to be really difficult because people hate each other these days trying to get anything done that's bipartisan in in politics is difficult. And those are professional players. Then you have people voting on it or whatever whatever possible solution, you know, the people are going to have to co-sign. Well, you know what? Actually, to your point about professional politicians, there's a political <laughs> system or um, called sortition that is actually fascinating where you don't have elections. Okay. And Just politicians, pol- no politicians, you have, you have a similar structure in terms of like how laws are passed and implemented and everything. 
But instead of having elected officials doing the law making, what you do is you randomly select people. Oh, that's an interesting. And so there's no, like, and the thing is when you're, if you're picked for this job or whatever, you do it, but it's for a set amount of time, two years, four years, whatever. So there's no jury duty. Very, very similar. Although this would be paid hopefully better than jury duty. Like, it's something that you should want to do, and it should come with a decent financial reward. Yeah, um, I would hope so. But you basically select random people from the population to to serve on legislating committees, and pretty much uh, you can go as far as you want in terms of how much of the public sphere you select for ra- like random people. Mm-hmm. But there's probably certain roles that you definitely don't want to have selected, like maybe the surgeon general should be somebody that's appointed instead of just like, yeah, if, yeah. Um, but y- you get the point. And what they found is that this actually leads to much better public policy because you don't have the influence of special interests anymore because there, there's no lobbying. The, you have the everyman making rules for the everyman. Most politicians we have are not the everyman. No, no. Even, even when you take an AOC, she doesn't represent the, represent the everyman. <laughs> no, and like she's probably at this point one of the wealthiest people in her district. Well. And I'm not hating on her. I'm just saying that even, even in her district, which is geographically quite small and like socioeconomically probably pretty poor um and she's representing what she feels is best for them but she's probably one of the richest people that live in that area now well if if she were to move there she lives in dc now but Mm -hmm. if you have people that are assigned for this job for whatever period of time like they're passing laws that they know will eventually affect them directly because they're no longer going to be politicians after two years and it leads them to come up with much more fair solutions i think that's well well, we should talk more about this let's because i think i'd like to learn more about that i'd like to learn are there any countries that are currently using it um they've done experiments somewhere in europe uh, maybe denmark i don't really remember but it's a proposed political system um to kind of democratize the legislation in in a way because like the the pure a pure democracy where you basically have everybody vote on everything that just doesn't work it's, it's way too you'd have votes every single week or whatever on every single piece of policy and you'd have low voter participation it wouldn't lead to good results so this is a way to kind of thread the needle between representative democracy, which has a lot of problems as we're seeing, and pure democracy where everyone gets to do gets gets to say, well, let's have random representative segments of the population. Because if you look at Congress, not too diverse. No. You know what the average like the average wealth of a senator is well over a million dollars. Sure, but also you have to have some controls on the randomization process. No. Well, no, the whole wanna, point of this is like anybody that you don't want to have a, a, a you know a schizophrenic person 
in politics. There has to be some type of control. You don't want to have, you know, the drug using population. You don't want to have an ex. Not necessarily. You might want to have ex criminals on there. You might want to have someone with mental illness on there because they're representing a portion of the population. That's but, the whole idea: is that you don't get the select. But their capability of representing and decision making and showing up to a job. Well, That's yeah, you, you have to do a little I'm bit of screening. I'm not saying you don't want representation, but you could have a reformed drug addict, addict, you know, or, but they have, you know, I would think they need to be able to read and write because the job involves reading and writing. Yeah, there'd be some basic qualifications that you need to meet, but yeah. you want to keep the bar as low as possible. For so being much, able to serve on this committee or whatever. Yeah, you want as much representation of of who you're representing, really. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. So let's. So let's. So let me. You said you sent this. Uh, you sent this graph or something like that. Yeah. Check your email. All right. So which? Uh, I'm, should I start at the top? Um. Let me see if they came through in the order that I want them to. Okay. Because I got a bit of a line graph here. It looks like 19. 89 to 2019 wealth gap by education. No, they didn't come through in the order that, uh, that I true. wanted. Um, so tell me what I'm, tell me what to look for because are all the way down to the bottom. Okay. And like this is the video that we were watching last night with uh, that we weren't able to show. No, I we were able to show some of it, but so not which really. One I, which um, one I start at? the second to the last one. Okay, so actual yeah, I was able to display this. All right, so I'm going to throw that over here so people can see it although this is actually um so it looks like the top line is actual distribution of wealth in the u.s which is the top 20 percent uh, no no it's like the second, the second to last oh yeah you're, you're, you're looking, looking at the third to last one. Oh wait which one should should i be looking at i got the i got three on here you want me to be looking at the one with two yeah, can, yeah you, can you put them up uh, as a graphic so people can see? Yeah, they, they can. You just can't see them. So I have to do a shared oh. screen, and they, okay. they're only seeing a third of my screen. Okay, so, okay. Uh, um, so, yeah, there, there's the three, the three graphs with the green on the bottom, and then there's the two graphs that are like bar chart sideways. Mm -hmm. Start with the one that has the two bar chart sideways. All right, I'm going to do a shared screen. We'll, we'll, we will figure it out from there. So hold up. Uh, Sorry, guys. Bear with us while we we let James see what he's describing because I think that would make some decent sense. Uh, how do you do shared screen again? This this Zoom is a uh, very tough for me. Share screen. All right. Stop one. All right. So, can you see this over here? Yep, so that's the first one. And this is this just very simply shows what Americans think would be ideal in terms of how much each group should be getting and then what Americans think it actually is right now. Mm -hmm. And then if you can go to the next one with the three charts. So you can see that there's a huge discrepancy between what we think should be what we think is and what actually is where yeah. so so the ideal actually is a pretty equitable 
equitable breakdown. Obviously, the top. Very. It's 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 not that top heavy, really. No, but it is leaning towards being top heavy. Uh, and then when you, I wish there was actually a, a X uh, axis. Uh, let's see. Well, if you go to the next, the next ones, um, go to, there's three of the bar charts, go to what 92% of Americans choose as ideal. Pull that one up. Okay. What Americans think is what 92% think is ideal. Yeah. Okay. So that one you can see, I think that that one's probably showing it a little bit better. this, this This one makes a little more sense here. Yeah, where, like, the really, really wealthy only have maybe five times as much as the poorest people. But, which is a lot of money. Five times as much as the poorest people, but still way more than the rich. And way, way more than the middle class. So, but, so you have, this is what people think would be ideal. This is what people think that it is. Yep. Which, which they think that the wealthy has... And I actually think like, that this graph right here is what we should be aiming for. Yeah, I think, I, I think that it's, well, it's a much more realistic aim. I don't, yes, it is more realistic, but I also think that this is kind of what we should be aiming for, it, even, even taking realism out of it, is that there should be a segment of the population that does much better than another segment of the population. And this is kind of meritocratic, but it should be based on a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. And having some people that have 10 or 100 times more than other people, there's, that's not so wrong. Like, if you go to the next graph, yeah. that's where you see the problem. What the actual distribution looks yeah. like. Where, so it, on the far right, that gets cut off. Yeah, because you can't just you can't show the main part of the graph in any reasonable scale if you want to see the the the, the right side. Yeah, there's it, there's yeah you basically the poorest don't register because there's just no yeah, multiples. Zero. There's no multiples of of any whole numbers that that can put them and the wealthy on the graph. So if we're we're talking about the wealthy, we need to include them. The poor people don't even exist. And did you no. include the one where they were stacked alongside of each other? Um, go to the, keep going, that one. There we go. Yeah. So that, and I, I drew the arrow there because the, the contrast isn't great. But I, I think that that's probably the, the most important one to show is when you zoom out and you see the actual scale where on the far right, it's just this needle. Well, and that's that's why I thought this was a topic that was worth discussing because I think that people don't understand how much of the economy, literally the economy, is in the hands of very, very few. And people think this much smaller amount. They think it's, I don't know if I can zoom in on this. Mm, yeah, you can, apparently. Yeah. But. yeah, so they, they think that it's... Uh, a reasonably obnoxious number, but it is actually well beyond obnoxious. And that's your 1% is the very tip top. Mm, that's like your 0.1 or your 0.01%. True, yeah. and that's But that's the percentage of wealth. 
Mm -hmm. You've got three people in this country that have as much as like 50% of this country. Which is insane. Which is Yeah, insane. think about that. 150, 160 million people versus three, and it's equal. All right, what else should I be clicking right, right here? Keep going. Um, all right, so click on that. The, I, I was going to point. <laughs> <laughs> um, there we go. The racial wealth fight has grown over three decades. I don't really care so much about the comparison by time. I think just comparing by race is insane here. Like... I, this one to me is probably the most hard hitting in terms of we understand that like minorities, especially black people, have been oppressed, but this shows it. And this is the racial divide. So what are the two numbers? So this is, so this is household wealth. Okay. So um, median household wealth. So you see. In 2016, whites, the median household wealth was 140,000. If you look at 2016 for blacks, looks like about 7,000, maybe less, maybe like three or 4,000. Wow. Wow. And then, okay, so the all column makes sense because it's basically, you're kind of averaging. That's just averaging. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you can, you can see that like whites are doing way better than the average, but the reason why the average is lower than the white is because you've got these other races that are dragging the average down and that's a real problem that we need to address like yeah and what are the reasons for that what are the reasons that black and latinos have so much less wealth than whites what are your theories well that's a really good question um i would well actually you know what and and, and we can consider this is we can talk about being oppressed because uh, I think I know the answer, and that is real estate. It's home ownership. To some degree, yeah. And home ownership, you know, the value in a home can be passed down from generation to generation. Your parents own a home, and either, you know, it becomes yours when they die, or you sell it when they die, and you get the proceeds, which is then just monetary monetary wealth, not just having that asset. That's well, there's one. also so the expenses where, like, once you own your home, your living expenses go way down because you really only have repairs and taxes to pay for. You don't have rent. You don't have interest. You don't have anything. You've just got this place that you can live, and you just have to keep it up. Well, and the next thing I was thinking is that, uh, you know, if you look at where the majority of minorities live, it's usually cities and urban areas, and cities and urban areas have a high cost of living which makes it difficult to to build wealth and build savings and a high proportion of renters, which mean you're not building any wealth and you're still spending the same amount of money every month as everybody else. It's just not, when you own a home, even if you have a mortgage on it, you spend $3,000 a month on your rent, on your, on your mortgage, but it goes into an account that is yours. A, a, por a portion of it, well, in the, in the, assuming the, that your home doesn't lose value because some of it's interest that you're never gonna get back, but Every month, some portion of your mortgage is, is basically going into a savings account that you just can't cash out yet. Mm. Um, but yeah, when I saw that graph, I, like, I knew that the numbers were going to be bad, 
but I didn't think they were going to be that bad. Um, yeah, um, actually, I didn't. It, it's it's wild because I, you know, hopefully, I didn't let onto it too much. But I had no idea what I was looking at at first because it just didn't make sense what the 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 differences in in what the different bars were. I didn't understand. So I uh, uh, move a little over to the left here, and this is. Uh, I suck at zooming here. Um, this is racial wealth. All right. Well, it's just zooming in now. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, that. and what what it's trying to show is that it's gotten worse over the last thirty years. Frankly, I could care less about that. Like to me, it looks like pretty. It's functionally the same to me over thirty years. It. It. I. I would agree. I would completely agree with you. It's functionally the same as in. Uh, the wealth hasn't changed that much, but what is surprising about it is, and this also hasn't changed that much, but the disparity between uh, black and Latino versus white in, and this is all the U.S., right? Oh yeah. All right. Um, all right. So all right, go to the next one. I want you to like go by wealth by educational attainment. It's that one with all the crazy bars. Next one. Next one. Yep. So here you can see, based on like the amount of education that you have, what your expected wealth is. Okay. And you can see now nothing surprising here in terms of the more education you have, the more likely you're going to be making more money. Okay, hold up. So let me just let me define some of these lines because I don't know who's looking at what screens, but this is this is pretty small here. So. You got the uh, associates is light blue, and where's where's uh, high school? Green. Okay, and then yellow is GED. Orange, yeah. Orange yeah. is GED. Green is high school. Blue is associates. Purple is bachelors, and then blue is postgraduate. Dark, dark so either blue. either a master's or a doctorate in something. Wow. So that's so basically wealth by education is yeah is a really yeah so education is a great indicator of of wealth although is that changing today well this runs through 2019 um i don't know how much it's what do you mean is it changing well because the extreme so what the trend that i'm looking for in the data is because the cost of education has grown so much like you have from 2007 to 2010 uh, a pretty pretty good decline, actually, almost to two thousand. So the reason why you see the the decline from two thousand seven to two thousand ten has to do with what happened in two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. That's what I was thinking. It's and so two thousand eight hit, and and you can see it really clearly. It hit bachelors and associates the hardest. So and that's kind of the heart of that's probably where most workers are is somewhere between. Like somewhere in associates or bachelor's degrees. So, but this, and, uh, go ahead. Well, it, it, and so if you're at like a postdoc level or like like postgraduate level, like you're in a high enough sphere that you probably were less affected by 2008 because you have expertise that a lot of other people don't. But since bachelor's make up bachelor's degrees and associates degrees make up the the bulk of the workforce, that's where the bulk of the cuts happened. And that's where all those people lost their jobs. Yeah, well, I, I also think the wealth is a, is a higher amount for the people with the postgraduate degrees. And the wealth is also probably more diversified. 
Could be. So that's that's um, that's that's some thinking. But what I was going to say is that this the cost of education, the fact that it's, you know education now is costing six figures plus for some mm-hmm. people, it doesn't appear that as the cost of education has grown, we've seen any crazy decreases. Actually, it looks like the last four years or five years, we've still seen increases in the wealth uh, so for anybody with a degree. What I would say, the conclusion to to draw from this, based on what, with, uh, coupled with what you just said, with education costs being higher now than they ever have been and continuing to increase, is that this is only going to function to increase inequality because the barrier to entry to higher paying jobs is getting more and more expensive, which means that less and less people can afford it. And to be able to get like a postdoc degree or something, which is more than doubling your future wealth, according to this graph. Yeah. Well, that's expensive. Um, like a lot of law schools are like $80,000 a year. Yeah. So after you go through four years of school, probably drawing a hundred to $150,000 of student debt, you're looking at three more years of law school at 240,000. You could be a half million dollars in debt before you've really worked a job. Yeah, and they're all, we're not, they're not also, this isn't, the population isn't uh, accounted for in this, in this graph at all. No, but think about like, well, if we the were people that can afford to be a half million dollars in debt before they work a job, if you come from a family that has two or three million dollars, you can afford that $500,000 investment now, and it'll pay off over time. Sure. But for someone who has zero dollars, if you start off at negative 500,000, you might never be able to claw out of that hole of paying off the interest and the loans. But if it's a cost that you can absorb because you have the free capital, then you're going to recoup that cost over time, but you need to be able to make the purchase. You, yeah, you have to be able to stick with it, exactly. Um, one thing that I have noticed here is it looks like the uh, wealth for uh, high school di- diplomat, or high school dropout, uh, it says GED or high school dropout, <laughs> is, uh, has continued to decrease. Mm-hmm. And it looks like high school degree and, and nothing else isn't doing you much good and an associate degree is doing you not much more with decreasing utility but the point that I wanted to make is that this is a pretty good indicator that dropping out of college or high school is not going to get you very far in life and you can look at somebody like uh, Steve Jobs or somebody else or uh, the Facebook guy didn't uh, what's his name Mark uh, he did some college, but the reason why he dropped out was because this company they started started to take off and he said, I don't need college. I'm going to manage this business. Well, the point and, that I'm making is that he's one in many million. So mm-hmm. just because somebody else did it, you know, your odds are probably similar to winning the lotto, that dropping out of Yeah, and education. you also have to remember, where did he go to school before he started, before exactly. Facebook existed? Exactly. He went to Yale. Yeah, so right. I, th- I so, thought it was Harvard, but it's all the same. Oh no, no, you're right. It is Harvard. He went to Harvard, which is like in the exact same tier as Yale. Which means that if you're going to Harvard or Yale, chances are really, really good that you are coming from money already. And the reason why I bring this up is 
I read an interesting post today about because we talked about this a little bit yesterday about how the the way to become a billionaire is you need to found a company and hope that it catches on and is successful, right? Yes, agreed. So there's a post today talking about how to become a billionaire requires risk. And so if you come from a family with money, and Bill Gates is an example of this, where before, when he was in high school, his family was millionaires. I don't know what his parents did, but he came from a wealthy family. And so when you come from that kind of wealth, you can afford to take risks. Because if you need to throw a million or $2 million into this company that you've got an idea for, well, if I were to have to throw a million or $2 million into it and it goes tits up, I'm screwed. Because well, I, I don't have that money. I was, having but, a, I was having a conversation with an interviewee today. And sorry to interrupt you, but I think it's kind of on the similar line here. I was having a conversation with an interviewee today, and he said, what, you know, what's the one thing that you think made you successful when you started real estate? And I said, fear. Because when I moved out of the house that I grew up in, my family sold it, and then my, my mom moved an hour outside of any city that would have any work. I moved to South Carolina, didn't amass any wealth, moved back to New York City, lost any money that I had, and then started real estate. So I had literally nothing. Uh, probably less than a, a few hundred bucks in my bank account and I started real estate and I was terrified but I knew that I had to work hard but not being successful wasn't really an option because I didn't have a car so was I going to move back and live at my mom's house in the middle of nowhere and commute an hour what is an hour commute by car on a bicycle there's no public transportation there's no trains out there it's not like New Jersey so I didn't really have any options except to be successful because I was terrified uh, but a lot of people don't, you know, they don't, <laughs> I don't know, I feel like sometimes people get really comfortable not having anything. And, right, but and, what I'm saying, I think your argument's slightly different from mine in is. that if you are, if you start off from wealth, you can take a risk on something, and it's a bet that you're making that may, might pay off 10 or 20 or 1,000 to 1, but if you lose the bet... You're, you're still in a good spot. That, and that's, well, that was my point. Is I, you know, I bet that I could be successful at real estate. And if I didn't find success, I would have been screwed. I didn't have that family safety net that, that I'd be all right with. So I used that fear to be successful. But a lot of people either have that family safety net or what I was also so saying is or are just comfortable that family safety net and that risk taking with a work ethic. So if you've got the work ethic and you really grind then you can turn a company into millions or billions worth of dollars. But you like, there's also the people that have the work ethic and have the financial backing whose companies fail. And you can look at a number of like successful business businessmen and see that like their first five or 10 companies all failed. And to be able to have that many cracks at starting a successful company, requires that financial backing that a lot of people don't have yeah, a lot a lot of new businesses fail a lot of new businesses fail and I mean you're losing a lot of money so to be able to come back from that either means you have an insane work ethic or most of the time you have some financial backing and I'm in New York City so there's a gazillion startups all around so I see a lot of startups fail. See a lot of restaurants open and close and I know how much it costs to start a restaurant and that's unattainable for 
most people. The yeah, amount, the and, amount and the of, thing is, it's not even easy to get rich in a restaurant, and rest, restaurants aren't scalable like like a for, lot of these no, for the, businesses. For the most part, restaurants are not scalable at all. But but just think to start a restaurant, you know, in New York City, your rent's going to be twenty twenty five thousand dollars a month if it's if it's a location worth with any passersby. And then you have to build out the space while you're spending. It's probably a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars to build out the space and get the equipment and everything else. Yeah, and then you need the licenses and any setbacks. You're paying rent every single month, so it's. it's All right, it's, let's let's hit the rest of these graphics and then we'll put our faces, our ugly faces, back up on the screen. Um, I only got like two more. All right, let me get off of here. What else do I need to see? So the keep, go all the way down. Yeah, I think I think I had a feeling you were gonna bring me down here. Yeah, so click on that one. Okay. So this is by age. And so, so obviously this is going to be like, this one's kind of a little bit harder to parse. Okay. Um, but because like someone who's 25 in 1989 is not 25 in 2019. But you can look and see that like, as people get older, they have more wealth, which makes sense. But you can see that from like 1989 to 2019, this gap has widened and it's widened a lot. And you can, and, and this is where I kind of want to go with this in a, in a few minutes is you look at 2007, that's like the inflection point, right? Where you see the gap mm -hmm. was the biggest in 2007 and both, both old people and young people took a hit after 2007. There's no arguing there. Mm -hmm. But what you see is that one of the two groups recovered. Yeah, no, that's a re that's a really good point. Yeah, you look at uh, 2004 to 2007, they grew f roughly 240,000. They grew roughly 60,000. Well, actually, if you look from 2004 to 2007, one group did really well, and then both groups took a, took a haircut. The top group, like the old people took more of a haircut than the young people. But from 2010 on, Young people haven't recovered, and old people have. Yeah, yeah. Why do you why do you think that is? Because the old people already have the wealth that our generation is not going to have the opportunity to amass. I want to circle back to that. Um, one last one. I want you to pull up the Excel that I created showing like mm -hmm. 1950 versus 2021, because this is where we tie it all together. Oh boy, this is a. Yeah, this is a dense, this is a dense document, but it was, so you gave me a whole bunch of stuff of like, how much 1950s dollars would it have cost to buy a home? How much? Fuck me, sorry. I'm, I'm trying to zoom in on this thing. If you stick with just the first four columns, don't worry about like the top margin or anything else. Just go with like the first three columns. It's like home value and household income. Okay. Um, like I did percentages, but like what you'll see is that home values have gone up much faster than income you'll see that rent has gone up much faster than income and yeah so the the top the top part is unadjusted for inflation the bottom part is adjusted for inflation so if you were in 1950 
the average rent, uh, the median rent in 1950 is $477 if you use today's dollars. So, but what, so if it was 1950, your average rent would be $42 a month. Now in today's dollars, so that's I, four, yeah. 477, but I think it's interesting to know that $42 a month was rent in 1950. Yeah, but you were only earning 3000 on average, in a year. but you could also buy a home for 7,400 bucks. Yeah. But if you look, so right now, like for example, my house cost me just shy of $300,000. And at the time I was making about $45,000. So that's about seven times what, like my house is worth about seven times what I was earning at the time. Mm -hmm. If you look at like 1950, it's about two and a quarter. If you, yeah, if you go home percentage of income, so rent percent of income, home percentage of income. So 247%. So mm -hmm. in, if you spent nothing on, if you spent money on nothing besides your home, you could work for two and a half years and have your home fully paid off. Today, it's five and a half years. Yeah, 449%. And 555. Well, I, I, yeah, when you adjust for inflation, yeah, five. Because I, you've got 2010, and then I layered in 2021 for with some figures. So, so let's just throw some of these numbers out here, though, just to give some perspective. In 1970, the average rent was 108 dollars. So in today's dollars, that would be 761. And yeah, uh, the average home could be purchased for 17 thousand dollars. An average income was just shy of 10 thousand bucks. Which in today's dollars would be about sixty thousand. I think it's easier to just stick with all the inflation-adjusted numbers. Let's like, cause <clears throat> like, I have no concept of what having forty-two dollars was like in nineteen fifty, but I think if you just stick with the inflation numbers, you can just look and see like that adjusting for inflation, <clears throat> rent is more than double what it was seventy years ago. Homes are five four or five times more expensive than they were 70 years ago. And that incomes have only gone up not, by about double. Not even double, actually, I don't think. So, it's almost exactly double if you look at 1950 to 2021. Yeah, it's almost, almost double, just about. But incomes have doubled, rent has more than doubled, home prices have gone up by a factor of four. Yeah, so income, wow, wow. That's uh, so the average, the median home value in 2021 is up. Oh, oh you didn't. Uh, well, it's way up, almost $100,000 higher than 2010, mm -hmm. which is a really big jump. Yeah. Oh, you see the biggest jump from 2000 to 2021 because like every like it really accelerates since 2000. Yeah, we because uh, you see, nineteen ninety to two thousand only went up by fifteen thousand, and then it went up by like by ninety thousand, and then by a hundred thousand over the next ten and ten years. Yeah, so but, what happened so, with the income from nineteen from nineteen ninety to two thousand? Um, two thousand was right That's at like the peak jump. of the dot com bubble. Oh, so you're thinking? That's... Remember the late nineties economy with Clinton as president? Like, think like. We were making a ton of money. It, like that was probably the best economically this nation has ever done. Yeah, and then we had a pretty sharp downturn, uh, September 11th, 
And you know, it, it's, it's very clear in the data that the last two decades have not been great. The, no. the, average, the, the median income is just about what it was in 1990. Yeah, and another thing that's, um, and so you see the top marginal rate, so those are the tax rates that were assessed on the highest earners. So if you look, 1960, 91% marginal rate. Wow. So you can see that taxes have gone down for the richest people, but the average person's not earning more. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. I'd like to. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop the shared screen just because. Uh, yeah, that's fine. We can go back to, uh, and to me, I want to talk about because I feel like millennials get a lot of shit right now from well everybody. <laughs> but especially, and some of it's deserved, but that. But we talked about that in the in the previous episode. We talked about narcissism as well. Yeah, um, but also, so your mom and my parents are about the same age, and they're they're both of the generation known as boomers, mm -hmm. and boomers seem to blame millennials for not having more wealth. And they think that it's millennials' fault for, for not being richer. And I think that that is such an incredibly disingenuous argument. Well, what, where does that stem from? What, what, where are they pointing the finger? Because we don't work hard? Well, that's one of them. Yeah, they think that we don't work hard. Well, we did live through the dot-com uh, era. <laughs> yeah, but like, it never we were 13 hard. at the time. Yeah, us. But we're, yeah, we're the other We're right smack in the middle of what is considered millennials. Okay. But whatever the case is, they think that it's because we don't work hard. That's one of them. And that we spend frivolously. And those are the two main things. But I look at it as boomers were lucky enough to come up in an era where the top marginal rates were 90, 80%. So the rich were taxed, taxed much more. There were all these government programs that subsidized methods for which you can grow wealth. There were government programs like the VA bill allowed all these like all the people that served in World War II gave birth to the boomers. And as part of the VA bill, like a lot of the boomers kids could go to school for cheap or free. Also, yeah. also like you had housing costs were lower. We, we, we just saw that. So it was easier to amass wealth through real estate because real estate was cheaper. So they were able to buy real estate back when it didn't cost as much, and now they sit on it. And people retired earlier, 50, 60 years ago. So there was a lot more upward mobility in terms of jobs because people were constantly cycling out of the workforce. Now you've got, like, I couldn't tell you how many jobs I've worked where, like, people that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s are still working and holding on to high salaries. And that prevents millennials from being able to move up. Um, education costs, I just touch on, but like it, it didn't, it used to be that if you had a high school degree, you were good. Now, a bachelor's degree is the minimum for a lot of jobs. Well, de define, define good. And you, you can hear me? The mic is, uh, mic's all right? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, cool. So, so define good. When you say, you, if you used to be able to graduate high school and you could be good. You could, what does that mean? 
you could probably you could, make what's equivalent of between forty and sixty thousand dollars a year today's dollars. Okay, let's say home ownership was achievable. Home ownership and being able to support a family with a high school degree. Just meant you, it, job. Just, it was it was very doable. It just meant you had to work harder and probably more manual labor. Perhaps. All right. So, where were you going with that? Well, I just think that the the numbers the numbers show that millennials have been dealt a really raw deal. Yeah, I I I definitely think that we have. Now, I don't <laughs> there's a couple of ways you can deal with that. One, you can try to figure every every corner there might be for opportunity and try to exploit any opportunity that you see or you can you can fight back and say we need to take the money away from the rich and i don't necessarily think that trying to take the money away from the rich is the best option but i do recognize that the rich they don't even have an obscene amount of money they have from what we just showed in those charts they have an unimaginable amount of money and they're not spending it that's that's the issue is that they it's it's you know it's some of them like have a, so much money that they can't spend it well, like i think they could I, try and spend it and they still wouldn't be able to but it's like a dick measuring competition but you don't fuck it's it's sorry for the grant you know but it, it, you're not doing anything with the money it doesn't there's nothing there to do with it so that's where I think the issue is. And I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not one to walk around and say, well, that person has more than me. You know, I should have some of what they have. I don't, I think that's a really shitty mentality. And I feel like a lot of people, well, it's unfair if they have more than me. And it's, it's, it's not fair because I started from, from this place and they just shouldn't have that. We need to take it from them. I don't think that's a way to look at it. No, but, it isn't. But, but we're not looking at, anybody around us right like we're not looking at anybody that's probably going to exist in the same room as us mm -hmm. <laughs> so no like we're, we're not talking about the everyman maybe having a little more than you do yeah so, i'm not talking about like when i was at the accounting firm like my bosses or whatever probably making like three to five hundred thousand dollars a year as accountants i never looked at them and said they shouldn't have that because when you compare them and me to the people that we're really talking about they're in the same boat that I'm in. Yeah, they they register a little. They register on the on the on that chart, but maybe like no, they don't one, register on that chart. One block. Like even my bosses and I, like for all for all comparative purposes, my bosses and me are on the exact same level when you compare it to the people that really have money. Yes, and that's that's where it gets wild because most of the solutions we have now are tax people like your bosses. We're not. We're still not. Any anything that we do doesn't have any effect on the uber wealthy. Mm -mm. So that's that's where I that's where I'm I'm curious where you can come up with a solution. Is that well, I'm not talking about taxing people that make five hundred thousand dollars a year or two million dollars a year. I'm talking about the people that have so much wealth you can't imagine it, and they can't use it. How do we how do we change that? That's a really tough question. Um, probably the idea that I think makes the most sense, but is also the most difficult to implement in a way that will actually achieve its desired goals is a wealth tax. 
break down a wealth tax? So basically you pay, instead of paying, you're going to pay income tax just like normal. But if your wealth is above a certain amount, you also pay some percentage of your wealth as a tax every single year. Now, um, Elizabeth Warren was probably the biggest proponent of this plan and her, her threshold for when the wealth tax began to kick in was 50 million. So for people and that were getting angry at this, like n none of you guys, this, none of this applies to you. And it starts off small and it gets bigger and bigger. So like somebody like Musk or Bezos would probably pay like 10 or $15 billion a year in taxes because they're probably getting hit for like 10 and like 10 to 15% of their wealth every single year, even if they didn't make that much. But if you're, if let's say you're worth 51 million, like it would start off at like maybe 1% of your wealth uh, of the wealth above the limit. So you'd be paying like 1% of your, of your 1 million above 50 million. So you'd be paying $10,000 a year extra if you had 51 million. Which is nothing. And Rasha asks a really good question. Wouldn't that be considered a penalty, penalizing the rich for earning more money? But Yes. Yes, it would. And but, the, the but, point that I make is that when you get above a billion dollars, like when, when the penalties really start to accrue, when you're above a billion dollars or something like that, like you're at the point where money no longer means things. But that, and that's I think that's the best take home is that the money doesn't mean anything at that. So the people that are pushing back have no concept of what it's like paying one percent on a million dollars. They're paying more than that in their taxes. Mm -hmm. And they're feeling it. statistic I saw from today, like the richest Americans pay an average like an average marginal rate or not a marginal rate, a, a an average tax rate of about eight point two percent. I pay more than that. You pay more than that. Billionaires pay eight point two percent on their on their on their money. You and I pay probably somewhere so, between twelve and twenty four percent. But I like how we're adding we're incentivizing being obscenely rich as if the incentive isn't built in already. Right. It, it's it's. Uh, it's. Uh, it's it's one of these ones i've already said this it's like you set a limit at like let's say 1 billion or 10 billion dollars i i said like once you make 10 billion dollars all your future wealth just is taxed like and you get a certificate that says you win capitalism like you <laughs> yeah. can frame well, it on your wall and if you drop below 10 billion dollars and you can start earning money to get yourself back up to 10 billion dollars if you want so but like is it like winning monopoly like you yeah, get a plaque on your wall and then you know you get to play again. No, no, it's just like, here's your certificate. Here's your trophy. You win. Congratulations. Well, well, You've got $9.9 .9 billion left to spend on whatever you want. Well, the thing is, I don't, and it depends on what you're doing with the fucking money. And this is where, this is where the money is not being spent. When you're Uber, like, the, and I know you shit on this guy all the time, but, but I think there's a stark difference between Bezos and Elon Musk. Elon Musk takes higher risks with his money. He he goes all in, or he has at least up until pretty recently. He'll go all in and he'll he'll spend a lot of money. He's a guy that's that's doing something with the majority of the wealth that he's building. No, he's not. You don't think so? He's well, got 190 billion dollars right now. Well, now yes, that's why I said up until recently. 
but even in starting Tesla, he kind of went all in. And uh, what risk know, did he really take? Losing everything that he had. He was taking all of his personal money, putting it into into this company. You should you should listen to some of the talks that he gives about about how bad it really got. Uh, yeah, and, I, I'm skeptical. Well, because you don't like the guy, but. Uh, and also, it's a guy telling a story about himself. So that's unfortunately, you know, typically how stories. Yeah, work that's and, why I'm skeptical. Like yeah. my own personal biases aside. Well, I think there's a decent amount of bias there. I, I, I'm I'm acknowledging that it exists. <laughs> what I'm saying but, is that but, but, a guy but, telling a story about himself and and the risks that he took to get to to where he is right now, I will always question. But but he he is spending money and starting companies and doing kind of cool stuff. Whereas, so is Bezos. In what way? Donating all sorts of money to like um, climate change, like, and you want to give him shit for like the like space trip that he spent. Like that's money that he just blew, but he employed a whole bunch of people, and like that's a whole bunch of money that he just kind of spread no, around. I'm not. I'm actually. I'm still not even comparing the Bezos is and the uh and the and the Musks because these are the wealthy that you know of. But there is a, a fraction of these people that you don't know of. They don't spend money like this and there's a reason you don't know of them. Oh yeah. But m- my whole point is that I think that the most logical solution is some form of a wealth tax where and you set the bar really high so that like you're you're really only hitting the people that are in that top of that little spike of the graph that we saw before. And you can take that money and throw it into education and healthcare and help the people that need help. I, I actually, I like the wealth tax idea. I want to uh, thank uh, Lebrain. She said, I appreciate your research, James. So I also want to thank you on the, the background uh, that you did here. I appreciate that as well. Thank you for the graphics. Um, and, and, and also kind of the wealth tax is really uh, – yeah, that was your solution. Rosh is saying that it's not my solution. Somebody else's solution. I'm just no, but, parroting it. Yeah, but I, uh, I was asking you. You were the one that volunteered the idea. Rosh is saying the rich will always find a loophole to avoid paying taxes, like the tax portion of what they donate to charities. Da, da, da. But I think the wealth tax is actually a pretty solid idea. The issue, though. The only issue I see with that is that when you have a wealth tax, where does that money go to? It goes to the government. And that's unlikely to be distributed to the middle class or the lower class. Or it will be distributed to the lower class in terms of housing and programs. And most of that stuff really sucks as it is. Well, so, maybe if we funded it better, it wouldn't suck so much. Well, I don't know. That's, 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 that's what you would hope. But also, our government is so bureaucratic, and it's such bullshit. Like, you know, you, you find one person that's going to raise their hand and say, I want to live in public housing. Yeah, okay, but, like, I think th- there's, there's, two, there's two steps here. The first I think, is— I think that's a decent—that's decent, the best solution I can, I can think of. It was your idea, but now that I'm considering— Well, right, it, and, like, the idea of, like, well, we just give this money to the government, and they're going to waste it or whatever. Okay, like— well, let, how about we find ways of reforming government so that there's less waste? How about we fix that problem too? Having a rich government isn't a terrible thing. You know, the government can then do pretty cool things with that money. 
Like, and I don't think many people like let's let's take housing out of it. If we were to just throw screw it, a hundred percent of the money that we raise from the wealth tax, billions every single year, mm-hmm. and put it into education. Make all four year schools, all public four year schools in this country free. Make public education K to twelve. Like if we actually paid our teachers a decent wage and well, I yeah, I don't think you would renovate it and Fixed all the schools. You wouldn't. You wouldn't need a four-year degree to be an intelligent person, if if the schools were better schools and we had better teachers. Well, if we put more money into them, exactly. But I mean, my thinking over over the last few episodes that we've done, we've talked about education. Is who the fuck would want to be a teacher? Well, you know what? If teachers are making a hundred or hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, yeah. But I, I can tell you, there's a ton of sh- shit that I'm fucking passionate about. But if you're going to pay me $37,000 a year, I, I will lose my passion very fast. So if you're telling me you get into teaching because you have a passion for teaching, um, you're, you know, you're going to lose that passion really fast. Oh, so to respond, Robin's asking, where do teachers make $100,000 to $120,000 a year? The answer is fucking nowhere now. What yeah. I'm saying is if we were to take all this money from a wealth tax and jack up the salaries for teachers immediately – then, then we might be able to get more people that want to be teachers, and we get better candidates and people that stay in the field longer. Exactly, exactly. But I, I, again, and I asked Robin actually, is who's going to want to be a teacher making thirty to forty grand a year just because they're passionate about it? There's a lot right, of yeah, shit that I'm passionate about. That teachers make do. tons of sacrifices for low salary. If you increase the salary, you're going to have better teachers. Simply put, simply put, we're getting rounded out on this uh, this music. Anything uh, you want to throw in there before we wrap up? I want people to comment on this so that we can. I want to respond to whatever the the rabble has to say um, All right. next I'll week. Get some questions. We'll, we'll start. We'll start the next episode with it. Uh, on that note, we got to cut. Thank All you, right. James. Thank you, Raj Kaleb. See you guys next time. Adios. Later. All right, my friends, that concludes this episode. If you are hearing my voice now, you owe me a subscription to this series, uh, a like, a comment, any type of interaction. It helps the podcast out. It helps me out. It'll help me know who's listening, watching, and uh, interacting. Um, but if you got this far, you, you throw something back. Throw me a bone here. Um, all right. I appreciate it. I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.